0: Morning, Kisa. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Proverbs nine. That's uh, where we'll be this morning, along with a little bit in Hebrews chapter two later on this morning. Uh, but we'll mainly be in Proverbs nine to start out. So, in uh, 2003, one man set out to do what had never been done in history before. This was a feat that had not been a- attempted or accomplished by anyone. He set out to, for 30 days straight, eat only from McDonald's. He disciplined himself that three times a day he would go to McDonald's and eat a meal from McDonald's, that he would try every single item on their menu within the month, uh, that he would not eat anything outside of McDonald's, and that if he was asked to supersize, uh, he would supersize his meal, something that's no longer around in part because of what he did. Uh, this man's name was Morgan Spurlock, and his feat was chronicled in the movie Supersize Me that came out in 2004. And surprise, eating uh, 30 straight days at McDonald's had some pretty negative health effects. In just one month, he gained 24.5 pounds. Uh, his cholesterol went from 168 168 to 230, which I think is bad. I'm not quite sure, uh, but I've heard that's bad. As well as he had lots of other negative side effects, just energy levels dropped like crazy. He had heart palpitations and other things along the way. The, the movie Supersize Me demonstrated in exaggerated form what we all know to be true, that the, the food we consume will either contribute to us being healthy, or the food we consume will contribute to us being unhealthy. The same thing is true of the information and the content that we take in and consume. This morning, I want to use the analogy of the information and content that we read, watch, listen to, and more being like food that we eat or take in. and the analogy of our attention or where and what we direct our focus to being like an appetite. And just as the food we eat can either contribute to us being healthy or unhealthy, so too all the information we take in can contribute to us either being wise And so knowing and living in line with the truth or being unwise or to put it more bluntly, foolish and not knowing or living in line with the truth. What we feed our attention with will either form us to be wise or unwise. That's the big idea this morning. What we feed our attention with will either form us to be wise or unwise. And so the question that I'm inviting all of us to ask this morning as we go throughout this morning is this, is what I'm giving my attention to forming me to be wise or unwise in the long run? Because rarely do we see immediate effects. The same is true with food because none of us eat for 30 straight days at McDonald's. We don't see the type of rapid effects, but it's only over time so too with what we give our attention to. It's likely over time that we see those effects. But I want to have us ask this morning, are my habits, especially my digital habits, contributing to me growing in wisdom or contributing to me growing in folly? I should say that I, I'm by no means the, the first person to use this analogy of the information we take in being like food and our attention being like an appetite. Uh, I'm drawing quite a bit from Brett McCracken's book, The Wisdom Pyramid, uh, which is an excellent book I, I'd recommend, And he, where he gives a food pyramid in part for the information we take in. And you have that on your notes, and I'll reference it later this morning. But he says in the very beginning of his book, Our world has more and more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, less clarity. More stimulation, less synthesis. More distraction, less stillness. More pontificating, less pondering. More opinion, less research. More speaking, less listening. More to look at, less to see. More amusements, less joy. Do you feel that? Because I read that and I feel that when I read something like that. And he says, to become wise in the information age, we need to be more discerning about what we consume. We need a diet comprised of lasting, reliable sources of wisdom rather than the fleeting, untrustworthy information that bombards us today. A diet heavy on what fosters wisdom and low on what fosters folly. You hear him drawing out this idea of what we take in being like food or a diet we consume. But even more importantly than Brett McCracken using that is the reality that the Bible uses this analogy of what we take in being like food and our attention being like an appetite. And and one of the prominent places we find this is in Proverbs 9, which is what we're going to look at this morning. And so we're going to read Proverbs 9 together and, and then look to see together Three things this passage teaches us about our attention. Three questions it invites us to ask to evaluate what we're giving our attention to. And and then we'll look at one thing that is truly worthy of our attention and then close this morning with just some practical suggestions. So let me pray for us this morning and then we'll read all of Proverbs 9 together. Father, we, we come from our weeks, hungry, thirsty, and longing to hear from you, whether we realize it or not. There are so many voices we've heard throughout the week, whether our own or other people's or whatever it is that's on our screens. So many voices we've heard that can so easily bombard us and crowd out your voice. And so I pray this morning, here, right now, in this time, you'd remove distractions, you'd give us grace to pay attention to your word, and that through your spirit, you'd speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he reproves a wicked man, incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest place of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. All right, so first of all, we we might ask, "What, what are three Things from this passage we just read that we might know about our attention. Or or as I'm saying it, three important things we need, we need to know about our attention in any day, but especially in our day. Here's the first one: our attention is a limited commodity. Like money or time or an appetite. We only have so much attention. It's limited. We we see this even in Proverbs 9. There are two voices calling out for our attention, the voice of wisdom and the voice of folly, and they're inviting us to come into their house and eat food, or in other words, to pay attention to them. Did you catch that as we read along? Verse 1 through 6 and verse 13 through 18 are parallel. One through six is this woman wisdom calling out, come in. 13 through 18 is woman folly calling out, come into my house. And we shouldn't miss the obvious. The person who's listening has to choose which house am I going to go into. He can't be in both places at the same time. He's got to choose either I'm going to listen to folly or I'm going to listen to wisdom. He ultimately has to choose because his attention is limited in a day and age where we are encouraged to multitask and our attention is often more and more and more divided, we need to know that ultimately our attention is limited. Our attention is limited. And and in some ways, our effort or our fascination with multitasking, when it's taken to an extreme is an attempt to overcome the good limits God gives to us and step into his place. Because only God has unlimited attention that he can put in all places at all times. And so when we are trying to type an email while eating a sandwich, while making a phone call, while checking the latest news story, while listening to the podcast that someone recommended to us, while on a date... We are, in some ways, trying to say, God, the limits you've given to me are not good, and I instead want to be like you and in your place. And in the long run, this doesn't actually do anything to overcome our limited attention. It just fragments our attention into smaller and smaller pieces. We have limited attention, which means we must choose. We have to choose. What we will spend our attention on, day by day and moment by moment. We're we're like someone who finds themselves in a new city, and maybe this has happened to you. They find themselves in a new city, and they have to decide where they're going to go out to eat. And there's so many different options, right? It's a new city, where do I go? And yet, ultimately, you have to decide, I'm going to go one place to eat, And then you get there, and what what happens? Now you're confronted again. There's a menu with all sorts of options on it, and I can't eat all of it. I've got to choose one or two, however many things it is, because my appetite is limited. You have to choose what you will eat, where you will eat. We need to know or be reminded of because our attention is limited, we both have to choose what we will use it on, and we get to choose what we will use it on. But you, you and I ultimately get to choose what we, where we will direct our attention moment by moment. But we also need to know there is a constant battle for our attention. That's the second thing. Again, in Proverbs 9, we see wisdom and folly competing to get our attention. Two voices constantly vying for our attention. And I read that, and I think maybe like you, Wouldn't it be really nice if there were only two voices vying for our attention? But in reality, these are the two voices behind thousands of other voices, right? Like the amount of TV shows, podcasts, online articles, social media posts, news updates, and more that we have access to in our day is staggering. There's so many voices coming our way, battling for our attention. And we should ask, well, why is there this battle for our attention? Why is there a battle for your attention and my attention? Because our attention is a valuable commodity. Your attention and my attention is a valuable commodity. Just as in the 1600s, the English and the Spanish fought for control of the seas because they knew whoever controls the seas gets rich. So too in our day, people fight for our attention because they know whoever controls the most attention gets rich. If, if we don't know this, like we need to know this church because big tech and media companies often know this far better than the average person in the pew. Your attention and my attention is really valuable And just as folly in Proverbs 9 tries to yell more loudly than wisdom, did you catch that in verse 13? Folly just goes out and starts yelling to get attention. So also in our day, there are all sorts of ways companies try to grab and hold our attention. Whether with constant breaking news that really isn't breaking or newsworthy, or or with clickbait headlines, or by trying to muster up outrage because outrage sells. Or, or by constantly creating new content. Or simply by using algorithms to continue to feed us what we want to hear. The, the people who put out content are really smart at grabbing and holding on to our attention. Th- this is why, if I'm honest, sadly, I, I check ESPN 10 to 20 times in a day sometimes. Maybe more sometimes. Why? Because they know what gets Kyle's attention and they gladly keep feeding it to me. We should also recognize we're not just passive in this battle. We're, we're also active in this battle. That, that anytime we post or share something online, what are we doing? We're asking for someone else to give us their attention. Even if just for a moment, Asking for them to read or watch or like or comment on something. And, and that, doesn't mean, I'm not, I'm not, that doesn't mean we shouldn't post online. That's not what I'm saying. But it does mean we should ask far more often before we post or share something. Is this really worth someone giving their valuable attention to? That's a really good question for us to ask before we post and share things online? Is this worth someone else giving their attention to? And we should also recognize behind this surface battle for our attention is a spiritual battle. That Satan would love nothing more than to distract you and me and have us pay attention to anything and everything that would keep us from ultimately paying attention to God. Like, like the greatest spiritual battle in our day might simply just be with distractions because Satan knows it's really easy to distract us in so many different ways. I'm going to ask why, thirdly, what we give our attention to will form us. Proverbs 9 is saying, if you spend time in the house of wisdom, if we spend time in the house of wisdom, we'll grow in wisdom. But if we spend time in the house of folly, we will grow in folly. In other words, what we give our attention to will form us and shape us over the long run. Proverbs thirteen twenty puts this even more clearly, where it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Th- this is a basic truth of spiritual formation. What we give our attention to, what we listen to, what we think about, what we watch, what we meditate on, will ultimately form us over time. So so for example, if we want to grow in having a heart for the nations and a desire to see the gospel spread to unreached people and unreached places, that doesn't happen by watching football every night of the week. And I'm calling myself out there. So, So if you feel convicted, join in because that line was meant for me. Like it doesn't happen by accident. If we want to grow in seeing a heart for the gospel going to the nations, it happens by us reading stories of missionaries, both present day and in history. It happens by us praying for the advance of the gospel. It happens by us learning about unreached people and places. And if we want to grow in any other way of knowing God and his heart, it doesn't happen by accident. It happens because we made a lot of little choices over time about what we're going to give our attention to that form us and shape us over the long run. Which means the small decisions we make day by day, it's going back to the start, the small decisions, the little decisions, where am I going to pay attention, that we make day by day, moment by moment, in the long run, shape us to either be foolish or wise. This is why it's necessary for us to evaluate what are we giving our attention to? And not just once, but like over and over and over again. What am I giving my attention to, especially in a digital age? And I think we can come up with just three questions to evaluate what we're feeding our attention with, even based off what we read in Proverbs 9, by comparing wisdom and folly in this verse. So, Three questions to evaluate what we're feeding our attention with. First, is it helping me to focus on what really matters or distracting me from what really matters? Look at Proverbs 9, 6, and 9:15 in your Bible, if you have it open in front of you, and, and then compare them. It says, wisdom invites us to walk on the path of insight, or, or the NLT puts it the path of good judgment. In other words, that we walk on the path of knowing this is what really matters, and so I'm going to walk in this path. But, but then if you look at verse 15, it says, Folly calls to those who, are, who pass by who are going straight on their way. Folly looks at people who are going on their way, focus on what matters, and just tries to pull them away, distract them. Wisdom shows itself in knowing what matters in this life and giving attention to what matters. Folly shows itself in either not knowing what matters or or being easily distracted from what really matters. So have have you thought about, have we all thought about and clarified? What is it that really matters in life? What is it that's really important? What is it that matters for your life both today and into the future? I I think the Bible would suggest three answers to that, that there may be more if we would just go to the greatest commandment and the Great Commission in Matthew. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, and Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm not going to turn there to read them. But they would tell us what really matters in this life is loving God. So knowing him, trusting him, obeying him, him, loving him, loving other people in our lives. And then Matthew 28, advancing the gospel in our world, helping others to come to know Christ and grow in what it means to be his followers. Anything we do that contributes or falls under one of those three areas, no matter how small it is, really matters. Not just for today, but into eternity. How much, how much of the information and content that we take in is helping us to focus on and grow in those areas? How how much of it? how much of what we give our attention to is helping us to focus on and grow in those three areas. Th- there have always been things that can distract us from what really matters. But, but in our day and age, there, there's perhaps more than ever that can distract us. And it's all accessible simply in our pockets whenever we want to pull it out. If you've ever seen the Disney movie Up, you know in that movie there, there are these dogs uh, they end up having collars on that they can talk, uh, and, and they're given these missions, and they're going about their mission, and they might be talking to someone, and yet out of the corner of their eye, they can spot something and squirrel, right? You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? If not, this is what they do, and they completely forget what they're doing and what they were going about. We are far more like those dogs than we want to admit, I think, at many times. Like seriously, how many of us, myself included, know what it feels like to spend 20 to 30 minutes on the internet and get somewhere and have no idea how I got there? How how many of us know what it feels like to be present in the room with someone else, whether a child or spouse or friend or family member, and yet in reality, we are in some distant world, whatever world our screen is putting in front of us? How, How many of us, again, myself included, struggle to not just check our phones for 30 minutes while we might pray or read the scriptures without looking to see if there's some new message, notification, or breaking news story that can give us another hit of dopamine. Like, we we feel this. we, We know this. Just as woman folly calls loudly to pull the young man from the path of what really matters, so too distractions in our day try to pull us constantly from what really matters in our life and so a a really good question that we can kind of train ourselves to ask is anytime we open up a screen or go online to ask why am i going what's the purpose for which i'm going online what am i looking for what am i going on here for and to only go on for that maybe a question that helps us to fight back against distractions and focus on what really matters in our life second question Is it, the content we're taking in, helping me to think more deeply or is it making me shallow in my thinking? Wisdom takes time. Wisdom takes silence or blank space to think, to reflect. Like, wisdom is not microwaved. Wisdom is slow cooked. C- compare again even the, the meals in Proverbs 9 that we see from wisdom and folly or, or, or how they're described differently in verses 1 through 3 wisdom and 13 through 14 folly. Wisdom, we're told in verses 1 through 3, has taken time to build her house well. She's set up pillars She's planned out and prepared her meal. She's killed a beast and cooked the meat and mixed wine. She's put thought into her invitation and sending out an invitation for other people to come in. The feast that wisdom offers has taken time. What about folly? Folly just walks out her door and starts yelling. You catch that? Verse 13, loud. And, and then she's like, well, I got some bread and some water, uh, but let me make it enticing. Stolen water tastes sweet and bread eaten in sweet secret is delicious. Right? I mean, you see the comparison there. Th- think of it in this way. On Thanksgiving Day, you could have had a turkey that took 2 hours to cook or more than 2 hours depending on how big it was. Or you could have had a Hungry Man turkey meal that took 2 minutes to cook. Which one would you rather have? That's an obvious answer, right? The the first one, right? Because it's better and yet it takes time for something like that to cook. So too, it takes time to reflect, space to think, silence to process in order to develop wisdom. But, but the amount of information we have access to and the speed with which new information is coming out is not encouraging us to think and have space and have time. Rather, it's encouraging us to consume as much as we can, as fast as we can, in order to stay up to speed and up to date. Nicholas Carr, in his book, The Shallows, this was written in 2010, by the way, so before a lot of people even had smartphones. He He talked about the impact new technology is having on our brains. He says, the more we use the web, the more we train our brain to be distracted, to process information very quickly and very efficiently but without sustained attention. That helps explain why many of us find it hard to concentrate even when we're away from our computers. Our brains become adept at forgetting, inept at remembering. And while reading five articles, listening to three podcasts, and watching four YouTube videos all on double speed might feed our desire to be productive, redeem the time, and stay informed, it doesn't ultimately feed us to be wise. Now, side note with this too, this is kind of a a sidetrack, but I just want to mention it. So too, this is true of what we post. Quick reactions rarely promote wisdom. Though they may make us look good and informed as we speak on the hot button issue of the day, Quick reactions rarely, if ever, promote wisdom in the long run. We need more time to think and process and understand before we respond to whatever we're being told we need to respond to of the day. We, we should ask, is, is there enough blank space in our lives that we can think and process? You might be like, "Oh, there's not a whole lot of blank space in my life. Okay, but, but is the only blank space that's there then filled with opening up a screen? Or is there blank space that's filled with with nothing at all, even if it's just five minutes in your day? Third question, is it helping, is the content information I'm taking in helping me to fear the Lord or forming me to be fearful and anxious over all sorts of other things? At the center of wisdom is what we find in verse 10 of Proverbs 9, if you want to look there, where the author says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is a central theme in Proverbs, right? That fear of the Lord and wisdom are directly connected. And so we should always ask, well, what is fear of the Lord? you Remember, we did a series over the summer on fear. And in that series, we kind of defined fear of the Lord in this way. It's a type of trembling delight in God that recognizes both how great and awesome he is and how good and loving he is how much of the things we're giving our attention to are helping us to grow in that fear? How much of what we're taking in is helping us to grow in a type of trembling delight before God? Or how much of what we're taking in is actually forming us to be fearful and anxious about all sorts of other things? Whether it's the Democrats or Republicans taking over our country and ruining it or China or Russia taking over the world, or whatever else we're being told, be concerned about this. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't be informed, but how much of what we are taking in, how much of the content you are taking in is helping you to see and know how big your God is and how much of it is just helping you and I be worried about whatever the next thing is we're supposed to be worried about. Or we might ask, how much of our scrolling through social media and staying up to date on whatever the latest news or trends are is actually rooted in caring more about other people's approval than about God's approval? if If we're honest, how much of whether it's reading as much information as we can, as many articles as possible, or scrolling on social media? I'm not saying all of it, that's all I'm saying, but I'm just asking how much of it is rooted in our desire to look smart or look up to date or or continue to have people like and approve of us. The gospel frees us from that slavery because the gospel tells us the, the only person whose approval matters for you and me, God, his approval is ours freely and fully in Christ. And so you're free. You don't have to live. I don't have to live for the approval of other people, but I'm free to live for what pleases God. Which gets to the one thing that is truly worthy of our attention. We're going to jump to Hebrews 2:1 there, so if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to me, Hebrews chapter two, verse one. Tony Ranke, uh, who's written a lot of good material on what it means to live as a Christian in a digital age, or discipleship in a digital age. By the way, I think Tony Ranky and Brett McCracken are, are two of the best Christian authors writing on this type of stuff. I would read anything by them. I think what they're putting out is really good and helps us grow in wisdom. But Tony says that he's come to see or think that there may be no more important verse in the Bible about our attention and what we give it to than Hebrews 2.1. And Hebrews 2.1 says this, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The author is telling his readers, which means us, that unless we intentionally pay close attention to something, we will end up drifting away from it. And and drifting is a fit metaphor for our time because it's the picture of a boat that's in the middle of the sea and because it has no purpose and no direction, it just drifts. When we take in any information that's fed to us, when we take in anything that comes our way that's calling for our attention, we give our attention to, we, we are like boats that simply drift with re- no real purpose or direction. So what, it, what is worthy of our attention? What do we need to pay much closer attention to lest we drift away from it? Well, the therefore in that verse is our clue. Because by telling us therefore, he's, uh, remember what I just said in chapter 1. And in chapter 1, he spent an entire chapter simply describing and talking about the greatness of Christ. It's been an entire chapter. That's all he did, talking about how great Jesus is. And then he says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to this, lest we drift away from it. Wisdom is found in fixing our attention on Jesus. Not just once, but over and over and over again. Not just in short bursts, but with sustained reflection and prayer, not not just in soundbite material, but by reading and thinking deeply about who he is, what he's done, and what it means for our lives. See, See, if our attention is given to all sorts of other things, then whether we want to or not, we will drift from paying attention to what truly matters. Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what it means for our lives. And the author of Hebrews 1 says in, or the author of Hebrews says in chapter 1 that Jesus is God's final and supreme word. Jesus is like God's blockbuster movie that he planned for all eternity through which we most clearly see God's glory and what he's like. Je- Jesus is like God's greatest symphony through which as we listen to him we, we hear God's love most wonderfully coming through. God's saying to us, do we want to know what matters? Do we want to really live for what matters? Then listen to my son. This is what he told the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. If we want to become people of depth and wisdom, we listen to his voice more than any other voice. Hebrews 1 tells us he is the one through whom God created the world. God spoke the world into existence through Jesus. And Hebrews 1 also tells us he's the one who upholds the entire universe. The reason it doesn't fall apart is because he upholds it with his word. Like, who, by listening to them, is going to make us wise and give us more depth? One more pundit, one more commentator, or the one whose word literally holds the universe together? Not only that, we see Jesus brings peace to our worried and anxious souls as we fix our attention on him. Hebrews 1 tells us he's both the sovereign king of the universe, he's seated, exalted, reigning even right now. And he's the one who paid the price for our forgiveness, securing God's approval for us. Think about what we just sung earlier this morning in that song, Christ our hope in life and death. Did you catch what we sung? In the second verse, we we sung, What truth can calm the troubled soul? You know how we didn't respond to that? What truth can calm the troubled soul? The nightly news. A WebMD article. The latest trending dance. Or an Instagram reel. Because none of those things have any lasting power to calm the troubled soul when we really go through the depths. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood. Who holds our faith when fears arise. Who stands above the stormy trials. Like if we want peace in a restless, distracted, anxious world, we get our eyes on Christ and we find peace where we can't find it anywhere else. The, the author of Hebrews is saying, look at how great Jesus is. Because he is so great, we should endeavor to fix our attention on him. Last year, when the Eagles made the Super Bowl, I remember having a conversation with my wife about what we were going to do for the Super Bowl. And, and whether you think this is absurd or not, you're free to your own opinion. But I remember telling her essentially the fact Uh, I don't really want to go to a big Super Bowl party because I want to be able to watch the game. Like I was telling her in that moment, this game matters to me. This game is important to me. And because it is, I want to minimize all other distractions because I want to be able to watch every single play. And I want to be able to hear every single call. And I want to be able to take it all in so that I can enjoy it. And I don't want other things to distract me from it. If Jesus is as great as the author of Hebrews is telling us he is, in fact, if he's as great as the whole entire Bible is telling us he is, then we should want to minimize all other distractions and pay attention to him as clearly and as much as we can and enjoy him by giving him our attention. Because in the end, only he is truly worthy of our attention. Tony Ranke says this, We dare not let the greatness of Jesus Christ get lost on our affections this is one of the greatest threats to Christians in the digital age. It's as easy as giving our affections over to this age of the visible spectacle, anything that's on our screens, to this attention economy, and our delight in Christ will deteriorate. We will drift, and don't, don't miss this, don't miss this church, and that drift away from Christ for digital thrills is the worst trade in the universe. To turn away from God's great spectacle in favor of the next little buzz of media offered by the world. The worst trade in the universe. Now, if we we believe that, I want to give three suggestions for us to wrap up this morning. Here's the first one Evaluate what you're giving your attention to, evaluate what we're giving our attention to. That that takes work, by the way. We've got to think about where do I find myself being easily distracted? What is it that really can pull my attention quickly away from things that matter? Where do you know that you're giving too much of your attention to? Like, deep down, you know that it's probably too much in this direction. Or where is it that what you're giving your attention to is affecting you negatively? Right, like, if we spend 10 minutes online and we walk away feeling more angry and more anxious than when we got online, that might be a good sign we we should evaluate something there. Second, evaluate what you would like to give more of your attention to. Evaluate where we would like to give more of our attention to. This is where I've included uh, Brett McCracken's wisdom pyramid on the notes. If you don't have the notes, you can just go on Google and Google uh, Brett McCracken wisdom pyramid. Just try not to get distracted while you're doing that. Uh, But his pyramid is, I have a picture of it. It's, It's laid out, this is actually, I think, an older version than what he has in his book. But it's laid out in six different levels. With the lowest level, the one on the bottom, being the one that's most grounded in truth and reality. That being scripture, because it's God's word. And then the highest level, the internet and social media, being the one that's least grounded in the truth. Not that there isn't truth, but just kind of getting farther and farther away from knowing for sure that what we're reading is trustworthy and true, or taking it as trustworthy and true. I think this can be a convicting tool, because in reality, probably for most of us, again, myself included many times, we realize I'm actually spending more time at the top parts of that pyramid than the lower parts. But, but I give it because I think it's also a really helpful tool for us to think through where do I want to invest more of my attention towards. And then thirdly, evaluate, so evaluate what we're giving our attention to, evaluate what we want to give more of our attention to. Thirdly, decide what you would like to change to reprioritize your attention. Think about one to three small things that you or I could do in the coming weeks, to just reprioritize our attention. Don't come up with a big list. You'll get overwhelmed. Don't try to make a massive change, right? Like, I'm going to burn my phone. I'm going dark. It it won't stick, just as crazy dieting habits rarely stick. Small changes. Small changes is often what sticks. So don't do nothing either. Decide what what are one to three small things you could do to reprioritize your attention. Maybe it's once a week. You're gonna set out to go for a, a walk without any noise at all. No headphones, no phone. I'm just gonna walk in quiet. Maybe it's, I'm gonna make an effort to go to sleep 15 or 30 minutes earlier rather than, again, I'm telling myself here, watching TV so that I might be more awake when I wake up in the morning to spend some time in, in God's word. Maybe it's uh, restricting or deleting an app. You feel like it's taking too much of your attention. Maybe it's saying out loud what the purpose is that we're going for on our screens anytime we open them up, speaking out loud, here's why I'm going online. There, there are all sorts of things we can do. I would just encourage you, come up with some ideas and choose one, two, or three of them to, to try. And, and remember in the midst of that, the end goal, the end goal is not to get to a place where our lives are free of distractions. The end goal is for us to be able to pay more and more attention on the one who is truly worthy of our attention so that as our attention is given to him, we might sing, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Kings. Would you join and sing with us this morning as we close?